Welcome back to the latest Grazia Life Advice. Thank you as always for joining us. I am Lottie Jeffs and in this episode we've got some great advice for you from a comedian who you might know from her role as Dobby in the iconic Peep Show. Hello, I'm Izzy Sutty and I am a comedian, writer and actress. Coming up, Izzy Sutty tells us about the power of a sparkly gold dress. Every time I see it in my wardrobe, I feel joy. I... I'm going to wear it really soon, maybe for mm. my birthday, but it feels like the kind of dress that you have to wear for a special occasion. But there's something even mm. about having it that I look at it and go, I love that. I just It's almost like it represents coming out of lockdown. We also talk about dealing with rejection and why it's so important to have lots of things on the go at once. I didn't really know any comedians. I didn't know that was a viable career. I didn't see comedy and writing playing such a big part in my job. And Izzy shares memories of her disastrous 1990s haircut. When I was in my first year of drama school, my then boyfriend, Tom, told me that he was basically a hairdresser. All of that, plus gratitude, parenting and making new friends as an adult. I really enjoyed chatting to Izzy and listening to her advice and anecdotes. Here she is. Hi, Izzy. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast on this bright Thursday morning that we're recording. How are you? What have you been up to this morning, all four hours of it? Um, I've just got the kids to school. That's basically been my mission because my partner's away. So it's always a bit manic in the mornings, especially when he's not here. What's your like school run sort of attitude? Are you like one of those just let's just get out of the door even if you've got one shoe on and we've forgotten your book bag or were you like quite regimented um no I'm not regimented we're always up late so the kids go to bed quite late they go to bed about nine they're three and seven so we all normally sleep till 10 past eight and then it's just hell so (laughs) sometimes we wake up and we're like it's 20 past eight and we live very near school. It takes oh, like good. a minute and a half to walk to school. Yeah. Um, but that's made us very complacent because we're like, oh, we've got ages. And then, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's always real, real mayhem. But then the funny thing is that when he's away, I'm often a bit more organised. And I think that often happens that. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. You can't rely on anyone else, can you? Mm. So you kind of. It is a bit, it was a bit better this morning. And also you want that thing of being able to prove yourself when your partner gets back to be like, oh, well, everything went so smoothly. And, you know, I always try like in the evenings, if my wife's out, I'm always like, just go to bed at seven o'clock and I'm going to cook a really nice healthy dinner and then have it all washed up. So by the time you get home, I've proved that I'm, I don't know, superhero of some sort, which is so ridiculous. No, I know exactly what you mean. Because last night I cooked this tofu and mushroom curry that I've never cooked before and sort of put it on before I went to pick them up from childcare and was like the curry's ready but it was on my own so I was like why am I doing this I'm just doing it for me but so that he can come back and I can go look I cooked this amazing thing yeah just casually drop it into conversation at some point (laughs) well you're here today to share your life advice with us and it's great I've had a little look and I'm very excited to get into it with you so your first piece of advice is if you're doubting whether to be with a potential partner or not look at a photo of yourself as a toddler and ask yourself if this girl deserves more yeah that came from my friend Mary 
she's brilliant. She's Scottish. And I met her on a, an acting job many, many years ago. And we've stayed in contact. And she really helped me when I was doubting a relationship, a long-term relationship that I was in. And there were, I don't know if you've ever had a relationship like this, where it's kind of, there are lots of things that are good, but there are a few things that are bad. And you're basically deciding whether the few things that are bad are fundamental enough to mean the relationship should end or Mm. whether it should continue. Um, So that was the position I was in and we were living together and it was quite serious and, um, I just said to her, I don't know what to do. Um, I just don't know. And she said this advice. She said, get a picture of yourself, preferably when you're a toddler. And I think it's important that it's when you're a toddler, because I think when you're a baby, even if you know it's you, babies are always... You could be anyone. Exactly. It's so true. Uh, Yeah. And um, there's something about it being a toddler and look at that picture and go preferably one with lots of hope in your eyes doing something fun rather than crying because you couldn't have an ice cream at the beach (laughs) the idea is that you look at yourself kind of with your life ahead of you and go look at this child isn't she brilliant she could do anything would you want this child objectively to be partners with this person forever I'm sure sometimes the answer is yes it's quite a good way of kind of breaking it down and making it simple I've never I've never heard this before but I think it's such a great idea. You know, as we get older, we, even if we're not really aware of it, I think we get, we make assumptions about ourselves and we kind of, we know things about ourselves. We know the good, we know the bad, and we get affected by past relationships and career and everything, everything that's happened, how we've coped with things. And I think sometimes it's really good just to peel all that away and go, Mm. you were once someone who you know, unless you've been very unlucky and had a difficult childhood, um, you know, was three years old, was playing in your grandparents' garden and was excited about life. So, you know, kind of, yeah, what what would she, what would she deserve? I think Mm. deserving is quite important. Yeah. And what did you decide in the end? We split up in the end. Um, So I decided that was, yeah, that was quite a key moment for me. I just Mm. realised that um, I didn't want that, that I'd, you know, I'd rather risk it and, um, and end things. Mm. Yeah. Good enough wasn't good enough. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yes. It's a what great is... title for a book. <sighs> yeah. Copyright. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Izzy, what is your second piece of advice? Um, the second piece of advice is very short. It's go for the run. So I, I, I started running in lockdown, having previously been running in the gym at various points in my life but I used to always say I don't like running on ground I don't know why I just used to not like being away from home and finding myself kind of out of breath and not knowing how to get home Mm. because I get lost really easily and then I did couch to 5k in lockdown and it just changed everything because um, they tell you what to do. And I quite liked that thing of them going, right, you're going to run for three minutes. You can walk for three minutes. All you have to do is put your music on and vaguely know where you are. So you don't end up, you know, a long way from home. Um, but because I live in London, even if that happens, you can normally get the bus or. Yeah, I've done that sometimes. It's got a bus yeah. <laughs> when I've like run to somewhere completely <laughs> random. Yeah. It's not like living in the middle of nowhere, is it? Where you'll end up in like next to a cow kind of going yeah I really don't exactly. know where I am yeah and I always think when I'm doubtful about whether I should go for the run or not 
I always, always feel better if I go for it, even if it doesn't go that well. And if I, you know, for whatever reason, it doesn't work out in the way I thought and I don't don't go as far as I thought or I don't do the time that I wanted to do. I never, ever regret it. I think it's a little mm. bit like, you know, in the morning, if you, I don't know what you do in the morning, but I, I really try not to look at, not to go on social media and not to go on WhatsApp. Oh, um, you're very first good. thing. Well, I try not to, mm. and sometimes I fail. But I always feel like I do better work as well creatively if I haven't kind of fogged my mind with that mm. stuff. And I feel like going for a run is a kind of similar thing in that if I go for a run in the morning, I'm like, I've done a really good thing today. I've, I've, you know, I feel great. I just feel like I've accomplished something. Therefore, I can now go and, I don't know, have a sausage sandwich yeah. or whatever it's so true isn't it and then that stays with you throughout the day like it can't yeah. go wrong then because you've whatever happens you've done a good thing and you you're carrying that sort of pride with you for the, throughout the day aren't you yeah absolutely it's like my friend who's a writer started doing this thing where at eight o'clock every morning he does this zoom thing with other writers they all kind of log on for an hour and, and write but he always says that afterwards he feels amazing because he's got up and he's done that. And it's kind of the equivalent of going for a run, I think, because mm. you just think, you know, I did it. I logged in and I, you know, I wrote. Because the day can so quickly unravel, can't it, I find, like, especially with working from home and like the kind of jobs that you and I do. Like if you if you sort of lose lose your grip on like what you're doing in a day before you know it, you've like done a bit of washing and then answering some emails or I don't know everything some, somehow goes wrong and then you're just like oh well today's been a complete write-off I've not achieved anything yeah that's so true and I always feel like if it gets to about two and I haven't really done anything I know I should be doing it's like oh that's kind of it for the day I may as well go and sort some clothes out or yeah exactly. there's always I, there's always something to do I think that's the other thing isn't it like because we're moving house in a couple of weeks so of course now I'm like I've got to go to the attic I've got to sort through things I've got to and I, I was thinking but even when we weren't moving house there was always something to do yeah there's always, always something broken there's always tidying to do so yeah and then with kids as well, where especially if you're picking them up yourself from school, it's like, got to leave it. Well, you don't have to leave until three because you live so close to the school. I live at 3.27. Sometimes <laughs> in the mornings, because the little one before he was born, when I just had my daughter, I used to um, take a cup of tea with me to school because I only had to oh, walk across the road holding her hand. I like yeah. that. All the other mums would have been like, oh, there she is with her cup of tea again. Who does she think she is? Um, right. Your third piece of advice is if you're feeling joy, yes, then think, what if it goes wrong, though? Then think of something specific that you're grateful for. And I think this is something to do with Brené Brown that you can tell me more about. Yeah. Um, so I haven't worded it very well, actually. There's lots of ifs there, isn't there? But if you're feeling joy. So it's basically what I'm talking about is that feeling that um, I think is reasonably common where perhaps you get offered a new job and you think, I'm so excited. This is amazing. And then you immediately think, what if it goes wrong, though? What if I, I'm not as good as they think I'm going to be and I mm. lose my job and then I can't pay the mortgage? Um, sometimes happened when the kids were babies, especially that I go in and just think, well, I love, you know, I love them so much and look, there they are sleeping. And I think, oh no, what if they get ill? Or what if, you know, what if I've forgotten to heat their milk properly? Or so, so, you know, it's all, it's basically like you're undercutting this moment of joy by going, what if, essentially. Mm. And you're kind of bursting your own bubble. 
I watched this TED talk by Brene Brown, who talks a lot about vulnerability and the importance of vulnerability. And she's just brilliant. I read some of her book as well. And this is the thing that really stuck out for me. So she calls it foreboding joy. So it's like you're feeling this joy. You are actually feeling it, yet you, you kind of puncture it. The way that works best for me that's in the book is to think of something you're grateful for immediately. I think sometimes mm. you hear the word gratitude and it feels a bit kind of like, oh, gratitude, like a bit kind mm. of airy fairy. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. kind of, you know, I'm really grateful for the sunshine. Or, But what I've learned is if you're as specific as possible and make it personal to you, then that's when it works. Mm. So to get rid of this feeling of what if I mess this up? What if I've done something? I think of something immediately that I'm grateful for, potentially in that room then, even mm. if it's looking at the baby thinking, oh no, what if I did this? Going, I'm so grateful for the fact that they've anything, that they've got my dad's nose and <laughs> um, that I've got anything that kind of brings you back into the present that is true. Or mm. even I'm really grateful I've got a bottle of Sauvignon Blanc in the fridge and I'm gonna I mean I know it sounds really but it's like it brings you kind of them specific I love that yeah yeah, because you're right gratitude often is this sort of like highfalutin abstract sort of idea that we've got to be grateful for these like massively important big things but I love that just like zooming in on the specific that you're grateful for and I can really imagine that does help in those moments of feeling like you're sort of starting to spiral. Yeah, I think it does. And it's almost like you're pushing back against that what if with compassion, actually, mm-hmm. by going, do you know what? I'm what you're doing, I suppose, when you're saying you feel grateful for something is saying, I I've got this and this makes me happy. So you're mm. it's really good weapon against and I also I suppose I think crucially you're saying, I've got this right now. I'm going to drink the glass of wine now. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the baby now and, you know, look at the baby's nose and look at... Yeah. So I kind of think that's been very useful for me. Mm. It, it really helps. It's one of those things that often you watch a TED talk, don't you? Or you read a book like that or something and you kind of think, oh, yeah, that's great. I'll do that. And then for whatever reason, it just doesn't quite pan out mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, in those moments of anxiety or those difficult moments, you don't necessarily remember the advice or mm. you... You can think, oh, well, that wouldn't work for me. But that is something that has really stuck with me and that works. Yeah, amazing. We're just going to jump to a quick ad break, but we'll be right back. And we're back with Izzy Sooty, who is sharing her life advice with us today. We are on to your fourth piece of life advice. Would you please, Izzy, tell me what your fourth piece of life advice is? Yeah, um, so it's when someone's talking about themselves and I don't mean like a boring person mm. um, kind of going I was made chairman of the company oh god we've all yeah. been there haven't we mm. <laughs> yeah um, I mean um, when you're enjoying a conversation especially when you don't know someone that well perhaps at a wedding or something like that when someone's talking about themselves ask one more question before coming in with something about yourself Ooh, I like this I've never heard this before either well I thought of this so did you, you okay, yes you great. copyright your yeah, title yeah. <laughs> This is your, this is the, um, this is the self-help book that we've all been waiting for. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I have this thing, a lot of my family don't like small talk. And I find that quite interesting because I, I think it's necessary. When small talk's boring, 
something's going a bit wrong and it's actually not functioning as it should. I think small talk's necessary because you want to get to specifics and you want to get to exciting, important things. Mm. But you have to sort of do that bit, that dance at the beginning of going, how was your journey? What I've found is when, when someone's talking about themselves in conversation, once you've got to the good stuff, I often catch myself jumping in. And I often see this with other people as well. I suppose if I'm observing conversations, they jump in maybe just one step too soon with, oh yes, I did that. Mm. Or, and it's not, there's nothing wrong with that. That's the way conversation works. You know, if it was just one person talking about themselves, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. Um, yeah. Uh, but I sometimes think I would have liked to have known more about that. And I've jumped in just that bit too early and gone, yes, you know, we're thinking of going on holiday there or anything. Whereas if I'd said, why did you choose there? Or mm. asked more about an event that happened and, or perhaps, you know, with more emotional things, if someone's talking about a problem with their kid, to just give them that room to really explore what they mean and mm. maybe come to a realisation for themselves without... I think those moments can be quite delicate. And um, now I've got kids, I've realised how how cherished that time is, especially with friends, mm. and that you sometimes have an hour or two to catch up. And it's often like a barrage of information. Like, Yeah, totally. Yeah. And there isn't quite that room to discover, for both parties to discover mm. things that I miss. So I suppose it's a way of trying to allow for that in a bit more of a formal way by thinking is there something else yeah. that I can such good advice because I think often you jump in with something about yourself because that feels like the easiest way to to tell the person you're talking to that you understand because yes. it's like oh that happened to me too but of course by doing that as you say you then switch it to being about you so I think I'm really probably really guilty of that but I do it from a good place I do it from a like I, I want you to know that you're not alone in it and that I've experienced it too. But actually, if rather than going straight to that, I did ask another question, I think that yeah. could really like open up the conversation in a more interesting way. And it's interesting, isn't it? I, I'm a mum to a three-year-old and I find that as a parent, you're having to have these sort of small talk conversations with other parents so often and like mm. taking them from just meaningless chit chat to actually like oh you're a really interesting person I'd quite like to be friends with you is quite uh, as you put it like a dance a conversational dance yeah. of like working each other out what kind of parents are we what kind of people are we um do we want to hang out or do we just want to like keep this at this level yeah I know exactly what you mean I don't know if you had this too but especially when I had Betty my first child I had this sudden realisation that I was just with this group of, well, mostly women, but sometimes their partners or, but basically mostly other mums because we had all had got pregnant at the same time. Mm. That's literally it. Um, and then you kind of separate them off, don't you? You kind of go, actually, if I'd been at school with you, we would have been really good friends. And then you go, yeah. no offence, but I don't think we have anything particularly to say to each other apart from how much did your baby sleep last night? Yeah. Um, and you can fill an hour with that, can't you, in the early Yeah, you days can. Sometimes really that's all you need when your brain isn't like functioning very yeah. well. Um, but yeah, definitely 
now I've been enjoying sort of making new friends because actually as you're as an adult you don't really make new friends that often do you no or you make them through unusual circumstances I've made Mm. the best new friend that I've made in recent years has been because very sadly her ex-partner died who I knew and I hadn't met her but Mm. I knew him and then we met because she contacted me about the funeral and about his life and um, stuff that she wanted to tell me about him, even though we didn't know each other. And we had such an incredible connection. And now she's one oh, of my best wow. friends. Really? Yeah. It's, wow, that's it's, so interesting. Yeah. It's amazing, really, that out of that came this friendship out of such a sad situation. But I agree. I think it is hard to make friends. Yeah. It's harder to make that time, isn't it? Mm. Your fifth piece of advice, Izzy, is to not have all your eggs in one basket. What do you mean by this? So this is what I apply to work, I think, more than anything else. And the Mm. first time I remember this coming up is mum saying it to me when I was auditioning for drama schools when I was 18. And we always made sure that I'd applied for another drama school before I'd done the audition for the previous one so that... If I got the rejection, which I did a lot because statistically that's what you're going to get, you kind of go, okay, I feel really gutted about that, but I've got an audition for Bristol Old Vic in two weeks, so I've got to do two-minute Shakespeare piece. Shall I change Shall I change things around? Shall I do things differently? So you're constantly kind of looking forwards. Um, mm. And I think people derive slightly different meanings from not putting all your eggs in one basket. But for me, when I apply it to work, that's how I see it. So... I nev- I'm never working on just one thing. And I know I'm lucky because I do lots of different things. And I'm often writing about two or three things, even if one of them's a pitch and, and whatever. But I like that because I, apart from anything, I think if you work really hard on one thing and then it gets rejected, that's much harder to take than if you've got your fingers in mm. a few pies but also I think instinctively I like working on a few different things at a time. And I think most people who are freelance are probably in that situation as well, aren't we? Like it's mm. it's unlikely. The people who I think perhaps are only working on one thing are maybe writers, Philip Pullman, who might, I don't know, but lock himself in a shed and go, I'm going to yeah, write an epic Yeah, he's probably book not and- taking like a copywriting advertising <laughs> yes. job on the side, is he, just to pay the bills <laughs> like I am. <laughs> No, he might like Maybe. doing that and do it for free. Maybe but yeah. he's writing the MS <laughs> Christmas lines. <laughs> oh, what an amazing documentary that would be it would if be he so was. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean, though. Yeah, there's what you're describing isn't the same as like being a multi hyphenate. It's kind of what you're describing is like a self protection. Yeah. It is an element of it is being a multi-hyphenate, but that thing of like, okay, I'm going to do this because if this doesn't work, I've got this. And if this doesn't work, I've got this. Like that's yeah. a little bit more strategic, I think. Yes, I think you're right. And I think that was just drilled into me, not only kind of by mum, but also just by drama school. Like, because I trained as an actress and although I was writing songs from a really young age and kind of writing comedy sketches, mm-hmm. I still always thought that I hoped that I would be an actress who also kind of wrote on the side, wrote bits and bobs. I didn't see, I didn't really know any comedians. I didn't know that was a viable career. I didn't see comedy and writing playing such a big part in my job. And at drama school, you know, 
it was just they were they were honest about the harsh realities of the profession and sort of were said they? you will be out of work yeah. all the time you know you <laughs> wow that must have been yeah. so tough to kind of keep going when well sort of but I think anyone who goes there is aware of it you kind of and also you've got that you're all mostly apart from a few people who kind of work in the city and give it all up to go to drama school and discover that with a load of 18 year olds covered in glitter <laughs> you're you're mostly <laughs> really young and full of hope and courage yeah. and grit and you kind of I think when you hear that you go well I'll show everyone you know I'll prove right. everyone wrong and <laughs> then you get out and you're working in a call center and doing a play where you play like a frog and a rat and a duck for 100 <laughs> quid a week and you think mm, I don't know who have I proved wrong here but in another way I think those experiences are brilliant I mean I've worked in so many jobs um, yeah my god like worked for a gourmet food company in the dot-com boom uh-huh. where I was the chief copywriter I was in charge of all the copy really? for six pounds an hour I was only 22 with no experience oh yeah totally I think I had a similar job in the dot-com boom for a, like bigsave.com where I was writing all the copy for like random products that they sold on this website and I was like 19 it's like thinking it was the best thing ever yeah <laughs> Your sixth piece of advice, um, Izzy, is to buy the gold dress. This is another one of mine. (laughs) (laughs) So this isn't just because I bought a gold dress the other day, but it kind Mm -hmm. of is because I bought a gold dress. Are you looking for validation? Yes. When we went into lockdown, I was in my early 40s and now I'm 43. When we came out of lockdown, I was like, I suddenly really wanted to wear gold things and sparkly things and get Mm. out my MAC glitter pots that I hadn't worn since I was about 22 and going to G.A.Y. and dancing on the podium. (laughs) So I was like, there's still so much glitter in here and I haven't worn it for 20 years. And it's a really weird thing. It's like I've, I don't, it's like I want to celebrate being allowed to be out again in a very visual way. So I've also had my hair cut off and balayaged so it's like white blonde and and I've suddenly gone I want to wear glittery things I want to wear sparkly eyeshadow I think there's something to be said for really rolling with that and I Mm. bought this gold dress which is black with all these gold like tassels but they're made out of sequins (laughs) love it where did you last wear it to so I haven't worn it yet so I have said (laughs) I'm thinking wear it to a funeral next week no I'm not um I have said by the gold dress. I haven't worn it. Every time I see it in my wardrobe, I feel joy. I am going to wear it really soon, maybe for mm. my birthday. But it feels like the kind of dress that you have to wear for a special occasion. But there's something even mm. about having it that I look at it and go, I love that. I just It's almost like it represents coming out of lockdown. And even yeah. looking at it is important. Oh, that's so nice. It brings you joy. Yeah. That is the end of your good advice. And we're going to end with um, a piece of bad advice. So something that someone told you that you either wish you hadn't listened to or you didn't listen to and you're pleased you didn't. I listened to Vic Hope's episode, which I really love. I really liked her bad advice. And I liked the (laughs) advice that her mum gave her about shaving her legs and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Um, It got me thinking about a hair thing for me. And so I'm going to say that my Worst advice ever has been when I was in my first year of drama school and my then boyfriend, Tom, told me that he was basically a hairdresser and that he knew how to cut hair. 
and that he could cut my fringe. I wanted a really short fringe. I didn't have a fringe. And he was like, I, I can definitely do that for you. It won't be a problem. And we were drunk and I was like, yes, let's do it. And he cut it so short. So it was a, probably about, I'm going to say two centimetres long. Okay. Um, so it just stuck wow. straight up. Like boys oh, used to no. have their fringes in the 90s. Oh, no. You know, when they used to kind of spike them up. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Was the rest so, of your hair long or short? Yeah, the rest of my hair was really long. So the rest of my hair was to my okay. shoulders. And <laughs> <laughs> um, we were doing um, a play set in the 1940s at college then. Not performed for an audience, but kind of studying it. And our teacher went mad the next day and was like, you can't do that. What if you'd been cast in a play and you'd cut your fringe off? And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess they didn't have fringes that were like two centimetres <laughs> long in that. <laughs> that stuck up on the head. So what I had to do in the end was, first I had my hair cut into a bob to at mm. least kind of soften the effect of it. Um, yeah, that's a good idea. And then I had to wax it onto my forehead to make it oh, go okay. down. Right. So yeah, I used to get hair wax oh and just put copious amounts of it between my hands, rub them together and then just push it <laughs> down and basically stick it to my forehead. I feel like we have to see a picture of this. Yeah, if I You're going to have to find one, one and, yeah. and email it to me, please. <laughs> I'll try. Oh yeah. my God. So the lesson here is what? Don't listen to, don't ever let your boyfriend cut your hair. I'd don't. say probably, yeah, don't ever let your boyfriend cut your hair and certainly don't believe someone who says that they're a hairdresser if they've never previously mentioned it. Yeah. Ask okay. for proof. <laughs> Izzy, it's been so brilliant chatting to you this morning. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for um, having me. And where can we hear you, see you or read you next? So the paperback of my novel, Jane is Trying, is out in May, which is a book about someone called Jane who is, she's, she's a blagger. She works in advertising and then her relationship falls apart and she leaves her partner and goes to live in the sticks back in Derbyshire and it's kind of about her getting her life back together and then I'm also working on my new stand-up show Jackpot which is kind of about risk-taking and a bit about that streak in me that always says yes that I was just talking about Mm. actually and that's at the Soho Theatre for six days from the 22nd of August and then it's on tour but all the dates are at izzysutty.co.uk if anyone wants to come along amazing I'd love to come great yeah let me know And you've got your own podcast as well, haven't you? Yeah, well, I'm one of the interviewers for the Penguin podcast, um, along with Nihal. And uh, we talk to new Penguin authors about their books. And that's brilliant because I get to read all these books just before they come out and also read such a variety of books. I think we get stuck into a bit of a groove with book readings. Mm, I'll check it out. Okay, thanks, Izzy. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Grazia Life Advice. If you know anyone who also had an unfortunate fringe, perhaps you could share this episode with them and you'll help us spread the word about the series, which really, really does help us reach a wider audience. Feel free to leave a review in your podcast player too. Thanks so much and we'll be back next time.